0: Well, Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Thank you so much for coming to Journey Church this morning and for worshiping with us. It's been a great day so far, hasn't it? It's been good to be in God's house. At least a few people feel like it's been a good day. Does everyone else feel like it's been a good day? Everybody back there? Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like it's been a good day. It's been good to be engaging with our Heavenly Father. and I think Zach said it so well that, you know, we're spending this time with God. We're focusing on Him. Let's let the distractions fall away. And I hope that we can take some time to do that this morning as we open up God's Word as well. So we've been in this sermon, called, sermon series called The Sermon on the Mount, and we've talked about some really awesome things. We've talked about the Beatitudes, these incredible promises that God gives us, these pillars of His kingdom. You know, like, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. These aren't things that we find in the world around us. These are things that are part of God's kingdom and His way of doing things. It's so counterculture to what we normally experience, and it's a wonderful promise for us to embrace as believers. And then we talked about how we are salt and light as believers, as the church, right? That we're to be different from the world. We're to be that seasoning that seasoning that, that, that talks about something that's different, that's greater, that's more. That greater thing that we're going to do is when we're the light is to shine on who Jesus is, his love for us, all that he's done for us. So we're the salt and light of this world. And then last week, Randy talked about how Jesus didn't come to go ahead and abolish the law, to take away everything that was done. But no, he came to fulfill the law. And so when we go ahead and open up the scriptures— Today, we're going to actually take a look a little bit more at what that is, because Jesus elaborates on what it means when he says he's not abolishing the law, he's fulfilling it. What does it look like to fulfill the law? Because you had the Pharisees who had the traditions of the elders, all those thousands of extra commandments that they were following to the T. But Jesus said, if your righteousness is only as good as them, these guys who get it all right, then you are not doing it well you're not doing it well enough at all for God's standards. Because in Matthew later on, he says, the Pharisees outwardly look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts, their hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so all they were doing was putting up this facade of looking like they have it all together by minding all their P's and Q's and what, what, God was saying, what Jesus was saying in this sermon right here when he was talking about with what Randy was saying, he he came to fulfill the law, to move it from an outward sin management place to an inward heart transformation. To move it from just looking like we have it all together to actually allowing God to get into the mess of who we are and change it and rearrange it so that it looks more like Jesus. So this morning, we're going to talk about another mess, uh, you know, and it's going to deal with that mess that's inside. We're going to be talking about relationships, and more specifically, about anger. Because I can tell you there hasn't been a person in this life that I've loved dearly who I haven't been angry with at one point or another, and I think we can all say that to be true. Uh, The reality is, you know, just if you spend time with somebody, if you let them in, if you bring them in close— there's going to be a greater chance for that person to hurt you and to bring about a moment of anger or feelings of frustration and things like that. But they don't have to be that close to you, do they? It could be someone in traffic. It could be a friend who has let you down. It could be a coworker who just isn't doing what you really feel like they should be doing. That anger creeps up. But what does it do? It poisons those relationships. And so Jesus wants us to remember this as he goes into this passage and he wants to dissect this. So we're going to be thinking about relationships and specifically how anger affects those and how it starts to pull us out of where we need to be with God. So let's start in with the passage that we're going to be opening up to. And that's Matthew 5. That's where we've been. Matthew 5. So if you have your app, you can pull that out and look at it. Verses 21 through 26. And we're just going to read through that too. It's going to be on the screens. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, this is Jesus talking, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar." go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court, with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown in prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid every last penny. You know, we're going to dive into this and we're going to talk about how our relationships matter to God. We're going to talk about anger. And we're going to look at this hard, complicated, messy subject. Um, And I'm going to do my best to share what I feel like God's laid on my heart. But I want to go to him and I want to ask him just to guide me and us as we step through this passage together. So if you'll just join me in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for this moment to spend here with you, looking at your word, allowing it to just be a mirror to reflect where we're at knowing that you have everything under control, that you are working in our lives, growing us, strengthening us. So Lord, I pray that as I'm speaking truth this morning, that your truth would be heard and would sink deep into our hearts, but that anything that is spoken from me that is of myself, God, that it would be quickly forgotten and that it wouldn't last and that you would be glorified in all that we do and say, God, here this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. So, the first thing I want to point out comes out of verses 21 and 22. And the first point I'm going to talk about is that the law was meant to set us apart, not just in action, but in direction. So The law sets us apart. That's why God gave it. That's why the Israelites were called, Israelites were called out to be different. They were given the law to change who they were, to make them that shining city on a hill, the salt and light of the earth. But they weren't just meant to be different in what they did like the Pharisees. They were meant to be different in their direction. And what Jesus says when he's talking in verse 21 is, you have heard that our ancestors were told told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. You see, Jesus redefines our convenient definitions of anger, the things that let us just justify it in our own heart. You know, like kids in the backseat of the car, you know, that are arguing or bickering. It's like, stop bothering your brother. And like, I'm not touching you. I'm just, you know, those type of things. This is what we do. We set up these issues that seem to be okay. Well, I'm not murdering someone. I didn't punch him in the face. You know, I didn't push him over on the playground or whatever it is. Jesus is reestablishing the heart of the law. We were told not to murder because we were told that we should, we should be loving of our brothers and sisters. This is a movement from external compliance to internal assimilation. This is a movement from simply looking like we have it all together, from just being good enough so that no one else gets what we're struggling with, with our hate and our anger, to a place where we give that hate and anger over to Jesus and allow him to change our hearts to love those people around us. And it continues on. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. <laughs> I'm just going to lean in on that one for a second here, y'all. This is very serious to God. You know, we see people lashing out in anger all over, don't we? Social media, on Twitter, or in politics all over the place. In fact, we have a term now that seems to justify our anger towards others called whataboutism, but it's always been in play, hasn't it? Well, I'm not doing something that bad. They did this. You know, how can I not be angry with them about that? But the reality is Jesus doesn't give us that license to harbor anger in our hearts. Jesus says you're liable for your anger when you call someone a name, when you go ahead and, and besmirch someone when you call them out when you hurt their their image in the world you're liable to the people that are around you let me tell you when you pull that person aside at the water cooler at work and you start calling someone else out then the next time that you do something that's going to hurt someone else guess what they're going to be thinking about you too and when you wish evil upon someone in your heart when anger has come to that place that you're literally just wishing that a brick would fall on their head. <laughs> you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's what it means to curse someone. We have to abandon our right to our own personal judgments and be willing to start to embrace God's work of justification in our lives and the lives of those people that are around us. Because every single one of us is justified justified. By his work on the cross, not by what we've done. So, as I find my place again, I'm sorry. Wow, I'm just like lost completely. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, okay, I'm back. All right. So, <laughs> anger ignores our sin. And points out the sin of others. It makes little of the justification of Jesus in this world. You know? It it says that basically, well, I'm going to hold my affront greater than Jesus' forgiveness of this person. And it allows us to go ahead and start to lessen that image of what God has done for the world and therefore also for us. So this cuts both ways. When we remove that grace that we should have for the people that are around us, we also cheapen it in our own hearts and minds. And then we start to doubt it in our own lives. So anger has a real effect on us. It can shut us off from people. It can keep us from being a part of those things. It can, it can actually take us and put us from a place of being people who are sons and daughters of the king who are loving and grace-filled, to people who are accusing and nitpicking each other to death. And when we're accusing, we're more like the accuser of the brethren. We're taking after the wrong person. The accuser of the brethren in Scripture is Satan. We want to be playing on the right side of the team, but anger puts us on the wrong side of that line. And so we have to watch that very carefully because it not only prevents us from being close and appreciating God's love for us, but it also keeps us from being able to go ahead and, and, and pull in the right direction. And Jesus knows this. That's why he's called this out. And he gives us two specific warnings about different types of anger in verses 23 and 24 and 25 and 26. And we're going to examine those real quick. The first type of anger that he wants us to watch out is about internal anger which inserts itself between us and God. So that internal anger, it inserts itself between who we are and who God is. And it says in verse 23, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, let's think about this for a second. Jesus mentioned a place. The Israelites came from all around the country over hills, cross rivers. They left their jobs. They weren't making money. They traveled to Jerusalem. They're at the temple. They've brought their best gifts. They've laid them at the altar. And now he says, if you're at this moment and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Jesus is saying, don't just call up the phone and say, hey, I'm so sorry, Jim, about whatever this is. He's saying, no, you go ahead and get up from Jerusalem. You go back. You take a day's journey. You take two days' journey. You go ahead and stop everything that where it is, and you go back and you go be reconciled to that person. That word in the Greek for reconciled means a mutual reconciliation to change your feelings for that person in such a way that it changes their feelings for you. That's the type of reconciliation that Jesus is talking about here. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You know, worship isn't just about our personal expression. It's not just our individual faith. The church is a body of believers. And we have to live in that body, in that community. But also, more importantly, God isn't satisfied with your worship If you're kindling anger towards someone else in your heart. You know, God's commanded us to love God and love others. And he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments to the disciples. So when we choose not to love others, it undermines our love of God. Because we're not keeping the commandments that he gave us. And if we truly loved him, we would surrender to those commandments And we would allow his way to have its way in our hearts. This is heavy. This is hard. But the reality is it's something that we're called to, to seek reconciliation, because God calls us to love, not anger, not hate. So what do you do when that person doesn't want to reconcile with you? Does it mean that you can't come back? An offer to God doesn't mean that your worship is null and void. It's, It's not talking about that. We have to keep this in context. In verses 21 and in verses 22, he's talking about an anger that's within someone's heart that causes them to act out, that causes them to be guilty of murder, even if they haven't. So this is what he's talking about, this person who's harboring anger. So we are called to go and to express feelings that have been renewed and transformed by Jesus Christ that have allowed us to love that person, not because of how great they were to us, not because of how awesome they were, but because of how much they mean to Jesus. And when we do that, we give that person an opportunity to experience and accept the love of Christ and respond as well. If we've done that, we can't be held responsible for what that person is doing. You know, reconciliation doesn't mean going back to the way things were all the time. Reconciliation doesn't mean that all of your feelings of anger are all of a sudden gone completely. You may still be working through stuff like that, but it does mean that you're open to healthy, God-honoring love, a love of the other person as you would love yourself. And critically, you don't allow that anger to drive you to a place of pursuing behaviors that start to corrupt your heart. Like seeking revenge. Like seeking to, to want to get the, your, your pound of flesh from this person. That's not what God's calling us to. In fact, in Romans 12, 19 through 21, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, if your enemies... Are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. It's not easy to conquer evil with good, but anger will always lead to bitterness in our own hearts, and bitterness will always lead to a cycle of self harm. That destroys who we are and keeps us from the freedom and peace that we should have in Jesus. We have to abandon that right to personal judgment and embrace God's work of justification in our lives and allow Him to develop in our hearts that heart that He has for others. The second way that Jesus warns us about anger, first way is internal, the second way is external. And that external anger inserts itself between us and God's kingdom. It keeps us from the purposes of God's kingdom, from what he would have for us. It says in verse 25, When you are on your way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. The question is, who fights your battles? We were talking about getting a pound of flesh before. That's how we do it in this day and age. You know, there's not a lot of people that go out there and still try to actually beat each other up. Happens. But that's not the normal way. We try to go ahead and take our pound of flesh through the courts, through whatever's going on. No, you've wronged me. I have rights. This is what I deserve. And this anger is justified, because I was wronged. But we have to keep our anger in place and allow it to, to, to not allow it to affect our trust in God. Ultimately, He's the one fighting our battles. Ultimately, he's the one who we need to have our trust in. He's the one that can take every situation and turn it together for good. And so when we go ahead and insert ourselves and our own strength, our rightness into a situation, and we are trying to push for that, that's what I'm talking about when going to court. God still may call you to go to court, but let him lead you there. Don't go because you're angry and you want to make that person pay. Go because you feel like it's necessary. Because in your time in prayer, you feel like there's some issue that has made it important for you to not let this slide. And you don't go with a heart that is trying to stick it to that person. You go with a heart that is open in forgiveness, but still needs to go ahead and approach it. So it's not court that's wrong, but it's the heart that is exacting itself into that situation. So, he goes on to say, Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm not perfect. I know that we as people aren't perfect. And although I'm extremely grateful for our system of justice, we all know that mistakes are made. And it's not because people necessarily are, are evil. Sometimes, you know, people have, you know, underhanded ways that they go about things. But I want to put my trust not in an imperfect system that I can control, that I can use to go ahead and sledgehammer someone in anger. I want to put my trust in God, who is able to work these situations out, who is going to lead me through this, whatever the situation may be, whatever the difficulty may be. You may have been taken to the cleaners in a business deal. You may have had someone who's actually harmed you. Take that to God and allow him to process that through. It says if your enemies are hungry, feed them. We conquer evil with good. We don't conquer evil by force. We conquer it because our weapons are not made of this world. We conquer it in heavenly realms with God's control and his ability to work these things together in our lives. And so for me, I would put my trust in God. Because once you do go ahead and step into that realm, if you're not walking with God, you're going to have to face the consequences one way or another. And you may be sorry that you did, especially if you're not trusting in him. In verse 26, it says, if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penny. You know, there's a cost to every decision in their life, isn't there? In this life, isn't there? If you don't realize that, you just maybe haven't lived long enough to find that out. The reality is everything that we go through in this world, one way or another, is going to cost us. If you go ahead and choose to let that person get the best of you in this one instance because God has called you to show grace. It may cost you something. But you know what? Exacting your revenge and anger because you can could cost you something too. It could poison your heart. It could destroy your relationships around you because it changes who you are as a person. It could lead you down a road that's going to take you to a place where you don't want to be. And honestly, guys, I feel like we as believers have lost an understanding that we're not called to always be living in a place of perfect comfort. That's not what Jesus called us to in this world. In fact, in 1 Peter 4, 1-2, through it says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physical pain, uh, physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You don't spend the rest of your lives chasing down your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. We won't be fixating on what's ours and what's rightfully what we need. We'll be fixating on what Jesus has for us and what he wants us to do. That's what he's calling us to do. That's why he's talking about this situation of the court to remind us that this external anger, when we allow our anger to step out into other people's lives and try to get the best of them because we deserve it, that we're not going to be getting to the place where we really want to be. That we're going to be subverting His will for our lives and putting us in a place of real danger. So I want to encourage you with these three last things, okay, that I want us to do as we try to step into this because rooting out anger, embracing a heart of Christ, of grace and love is really great to say, but it's also difficult to do in the moment, isn't it? All of our relationships that we come into, they have a lot of hard points. And the closer you are with someone, the more you are with that person, the more you're going to encounter those things. So how do we go ahead and allow God's heart to win instead of that heart of anger? Well, I want to encourage us to do one thing first, and it's going to sound simple, but it's so important. I just want to encourage us to pray right in that moment right when we're feeling angry. And it's going to feel almost like sometimes, like, "Ah, I can't pray right now. I'm, I'm angry. You know, like, I don't want to invite God into this moment in my life. But he knows. He's aware. The same way he told that person that was at the sacrificing point to go and be reconciled. He knows what's going on in our hearts. And when we invite God into that place where we are tempted with sin, whether it's anger or something else, we allow his light to dispel the darkness that we're facing. And he can bring us to a place of restoring us. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for that person that we're angry with. But let's pray. And the second thing I want to encourage us to do is to meditate, to seek, to meditate on who God is. You know, we need to remember his love for us. We need to remember what he's forgiven us of so that we can begin to have the grace that he has for us, for those people that are around us, that we're bumping into. We can remember his scriptures. We can remember the truth, you know, that, that he has saved us and that it's not by our works. And then the last thing that we need to be ready to do is to act, to step out in action. Because he may call us to go and be reconciled to someone. And there's the hard part. <laughs> there's the part that none of us want to face. And honestly, I think all of us have someone that we could probably think about that we might need to step out and reconcile with. I know I'm in the process right now of reconciling with someone close to me that I care about. And it's not easy, and it's not perfect. But you know what? I'm trusting God to work out the difficulties, the hiccups, the struggle. Because I know that he can go ahead and continue to work in me and allow me to forgive, and allow me to let that anger slide. And that in that moment, as we do that with those people that are around us, especially when we are in the right and they're in the wrong, we shine the light of Christ. We shine it brighter than we could ever imagine, because that's what God's kingdom calls for it doesn't call for us just to go around there and tout this idea of, oh, no, I'm good. I don't live in anger. You didn't see me say anything cross. I didn't say anything harsh to anybody, you know? He's caring about what's in our deepest recesses of our hearts. So I just want to encourage us this morning to think about, is there someone in your life that you have an unresolved issue of anger? Where have you given Satan a foothold to start to drag you over to his kingdom and pull you out of God's kingdom. Let's not let him do that. Let's let anger go and let's call on God to renew our hearts, renew our minds, and bring us into a place where we can be his people, loving with his love those that are around us, regardless of how difficult they've been or how hard the situation has been. It's a tall order and we can't do it without him. So I'm going to open up this altar for prayer because this should be a house of prayer. Amen? This should be a place where we can come and connect with God and seek him for things. So if you are seeking him for something else in your life, this is your altar space. If you want to bring up uh, someone that you love about, love and and, and you know that's sick, please come up here and do that. But at the same time, If you have just this harbored anger that you don't know what to do with, this is also a time for you to come up here and to bring it to God. And I'm going to be here and Randy's going to be here and Tony's going to be here and we're going to have others that will be around. And I just want to encourage you, this is not something you have to deal with on your own. This is something you can hand over to God and begin to start having victory. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for this moment to be able to just come before you, the author, the finisher of our faith, and allow you the moment to change and restore us when it comes to anger. God, thank you for your warning about what anger truly is in our life and how it will work to keep us from you and to keep us from your kingdom and its mission. God, don't let us justify anger by feeling like it's just harmless. It's, it's, it's hidden. It doesn't really matter. I don't think about it all the time. It's not something that really comes to mind. God, let us root it out so that we can shine brightly as your people and as your church. Jesus, we love you. We can't do that without you. We need you, God, to work in us, to give us the strength to love others as you've loved us. So we just pray now that you'd help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.